The coronavirus crisis strikes the Kansas City region. We have changed dramatically in the last five weeks, and today on the podcast, we'll review how that's happened and what may come next. Greetings. You're on Deep Background. Well, greetings. You're on Deep Background for May 6th. 2020. We haven't been around for a while. You may have heard there's a pandemic going on in the country and in the region, and we've struggled a little bit to figure out the technology, but I think we have it. And so we're going to visit today for about a half an hour uh, with two great reporters. And uh, as always, my co-host, Derek Donovan, Steve Vockrod of The Star and Kevin Hardy of The Star. Um, it's obvious we won't be able to cover uh, in this podcast every angle of everything that's happened in the last uh, five weeks concerning this uh, uh, unprecedented historic situation. But we we do want to give it an overview today, and then we'll pick off pieces of it in podcasts to come. So thanks so much for staying with us. And, and uh, uh, as always, we appreciate your listenership as we tackle this issue. So today what I want to talk about are sort of three broad areas of the area's uh, uh, coronavirus response, the medical response, the economic response, and then the political uh, fallout. So, Steve Vakrat, let me start with you. The first thing you always have to talk about uh, when we're talking about this story is the medical aspect. This is a disease. People are dying. Lots of people are getting sick. And yet I get the sense, and tell me if you agree or disagree, I get the sense that the Kansas City region broadly, with maybe Wyandotte County as the uh, exception, has not really seen the kind of uh, disastrous uh, influx of cases that other metropolitan regions have seen. I think I counted today, I think we're up to about 145, maybe a few more deaths in the entire region. Uh, and, and in Kansas City and Jackson County, particularly, uh, the death count is not as high as it's been in other cities. Am I right there? And what do we attribute that to? Yeah, I think you, you raised some interesting points. And I, I would start this off. I don't want to, uh, with the caveat of, you know, anything I say, I wouldn't want to be seen as downplaying uh, the risk of coronavirus. It's a, uh, it's a nasty, uh, nasty virus that's floating around out there and the speed to which it's spread across the world is fairly astonishing but you're right the the latest figures i've got them on this dashboard in front of me it's 154 deaths uh more than 3,000 confirmed cases um a couple things to keep in mind you know you can chalk up about 32 30 to 32 of those deaths to one nursing home in wyandotte county uh that was hit very hard um, and you know, I, me and Laura Bauer have done some reporting on that. That's the Riverbend uh, long-term care facility. So you strip that out of the numbers and, you know, the number of deaths goes down to about, you know, uh, 122. Um, there's been a few other hot spots in the region, but you're right. I mean, given that, given Kansas city's lack of density, uh, given how spread out the city is. And I think also you can give some credit to political leaders who I think responded with stay-at-home orders fairly early on. Um, we have not seen anything close to like 
say New York type numbers, uh, which is, you know, of course, an extreme, I don't want to say outlier, but you know, that is, that is clearly the part of the uh, country that got hit the hardest. I, I, I think there was some concern, wasn't there, that, that hospitals in our area would be overrun and, you know, they'd run out of equipment and, and, and personnel. And yet that really didn't happen at all, not just in the region, but maybe in the state. Now, you talk about caveats. We also want to say we're recording this on May 6th. Come see us on June 6th on some of these medical things. It, there's reporting that rural areas are really going to get smacked. But by and large, uh, it seems as if uh, the response here was more timely uh, in terms of tamping down the amount of, even compared to St. Louis. I mean, St. Louis has had like a, close to 200 in the county and the city, 200 fatalities. Jackson County has avoided that altogether. Right. And, you know, so the, the, the pandemic reached Kansas City fairly late in the game. And so there was some, there was some time for preparation and response that even a place like St. Louis didn't necessarily get. Um, and you raise a crucial, what I think at least is a crucial point is that we did not get to a stage in which um, the hospitals got overwhelmed. And that's been the big concern among political and medical leaders in the region is we don't want we don't want to see the hospitals succumb to the type of situation uh, that, you know, some of the New York and Brooklyn type hospitals uh, encountered. And, you know, I've been listening to a lot of these daily calls with the press that the K Medical Center has been having. And my sense from those doctors and physicians is that they are fairly impressed and pleased that it has not gotten to a level that strained, strained their ability to treat and respond to people. Yeah. Kevin, uh, in fact, Children's Mercy Hospital had some pretty significant layoffs in the middle of this, didn't it? And I mean, that some of the hospitals seem to have less business than they might have anticipated otherwise. Right. I mean, part of this is um, self-imposed damage by the medical community in efforts to stop the spread. Excuse me, many hospitals, you know, canceled elective surgeries, canceled elective procedures and visits. So um, on one hand, demand may have been spiking for ICU or emergency care, but um, colonoscopies and more routine procedures have been put off uh, for weeks, if not months, leaving you know, leaving the need for all that support staff and even some direct care providers uh, much lower than in normal times. Yeah, yeah. But don't you, don't we have a sense that for all the apparent success, again, in the region, and we'll, I, I do want to talk about Riverbend in a minute because the impact on nursing homes has just been uh, profound, but that that we still lag a bit in other health-related metrics like test availability, rapidity of tests. I mean, it seems like for all the, you don't want to say good luck, but the, but the, for all the early good news, relative good news in our numbers, the, the potential for a problem remains. Do you, uh, I'll ask Steve that first and then go to Kevin, that we're, we're still not, we're still not, we didn't use this month to build up our testing and, 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 you know, other capacities against a resurgence. of. The, in fact, you have a story with Rex Archer talking about that today. Yeah, um, Rex Archer, who is the director of the uh, Kansas City, Missouri uh, Public Health Department, 
Uh, he's been pretty outspoken and uh, not shy about his misgivings about opening up the economies in the region, which we're starting to see happen this week and we'll see more of next week. Um, but he's been pretty clear in that we don't have enough testing right now. There, you know, with, and, and while it clearly is ramping up and there is progress making being made there, he says, you know, in Kansas City, Missouri, we should be testing 750 people a day at least. And if you look at the number of people who've been tested in the duration of this across the region, so that's, you know, broader than Kansas City, we're not even at 14,000 people yet. And so the medical professionals and the medical experts will say fairly clearly that, uh, you know, you're flying blind, you're, 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 you're pacing through the dark without enough testing with enough, without enough contact tracing. Right. Um, don't have enough people to do contract tracing, right. effective uh, tracing. But that problem is not unique to the, to the Kansas City region. I mean, I think the original sin in the United States' response to this was its extremely slow response uh, in getting adequate testing. You compare that to South Korea, uh, they were very quick with their testing and you know, they didn't do the types of draconian stay-at-home measures that you saw in China to contain this, but they had a, they had a rapid testing apparatus that you know really limited the damage to their economy uh, and their damage to and their restrictions to day-to-day activity uh, of its uh, its citizens. It's just getting the testing to the area and getting you know being able to bid on and obtain limited, a, a still fairly limited supply of, of testing. Now, again, that's improving, but you know, we're, we're two to three months too late on that uh, at least. And you of course have bottlenecks with getting the testing to states and cities as you've got governors and mayors across the country that are competing with one another to try to get those materials. You know, it's, it, 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 it complicates the matter. Um, and, you know, some of those bottlenecks are slowly opening, but, um, you know, you talk to the public health professionals and they'll tell you that it's still not, not nearly enough. And so they're having to, they're having to rely on less, uh, robust measures, you know, such as, you know, what's, what's the positivity rate of the people we are testing? How many people are getting hospitalized? What's the rate of death? Those are less precise measurements than you want to deal with, but that's what you, that's the best they can do right now. Right, and that's a good pivot then to to you, Kevin, to talk about some of the economics of all of this because, uh, you know, governors and mayors can lift all the orders they want to or impose all the orders they want to, but the economy and really uh, more broadly, the community won't get going again until there is confidence, right? That that you won't get sick if you go out for a beer or or a sandwich for lunch or go in to the workplace and the lack of testing and the concern going forward, even though Kansas city hasn't been hit that hard, relatively speaking, again, we always have to throw that caveat in, but the the fact is you won't get a robust recovery until the things that Steve just talked about testing and tracing become more ubiquitous and more reliable. Right? Right. I mean, it's really unclear if, reopening restaurants and retail stores, particularly at really limited capacities, how much of a um, economic sort of recovery we can expect with people feeling 
still unsure about the situation um, with consumer confidence way down with unemployment skyrocketing. It's really hard to imagine what any recovery would look like. Um, and, you know, these restaurants that are beginning to reopen across the Metro will tell you that they don't have the, uh, they're not, they don't have the ability to, to keep going at 25% capacity or 50% capacity. That's not going to keep their businesses afloat. So it's really hard to see, how this economy kind of gets through this in the short term. How, how did we, just broadly speaking, do you have a sense, Kevin, of how the region did economically? I mean, this is, you know, the idea of just freezing the economy in place is just an astonishing thing to see. Uh, and we, uh, unlike the medical numbers, we may have suffered just as much as other, you know, regions, comparatively speaking. Um, but, but, I mean, do we have a sense of, are we looking at a year to get back or a, a month or are we reopening at the right time? And what, what's the economic impact of all of this? Well, early on, a lot of business leaders, I think, forecasted a fairly, a fairly deep but short recession or downturn. And those forecasts have now been sort of pulled out a little further. I, I think some businesses still expect to rebound in the third quarter um, although some some of the like the restaurant and more service oriented businesses are now saying they don't expect to see a recovery until 2021, um, it's just really hard to tell. But you make a good point. The we're not we're not in this alone. Every city, every part of America is going through this. But every industry here has been impacted. It's it's hitting healthcare. It's hitting retail. It's hitting. Um, architecture firms, graphic designers, web developers, really every part of the economy has been touched. Advertisers. Advertisers. So you're seeing white collar, blue collar, service industry, factories, all kinds of workers have been put on the sidelines because of this. Yeah. And the government, the federal government is pouring trillions of dollars into the economy to try and stave that off, which may have some stimulative effect in the short term or even the median term. But- you also get the sense that, you know, we may have a permanent condition that is different than it was 90 days ago, that shopping malls and, and taverns and, you know, dentist's office may do things differently because of COVID-19 for years to come. I mean, how, how, in your view, how uh, flexible is the region in dealing with sort of permanent changes that COVID might uh, impose? That's a really, that's a good question and a hard question. I think a lot of businesses, you know, have shown that they can be flexible and adapt some of their business models to, to, to try to get whatever business they can, but it's, it's hard to see how those limited, um, that, that limited traffic or that limited uh, occupancy really can propel businesses for the next year to two years while we look for a vaccine or a, a viral treatment to this disease. Um, I think it's just, it's too, it's too early to tell. Yeah. Steve, uh, jump in here because, uh, it's astonishing to me and, and fascinating how many decisions, uh, political decisions we'll need to make in the next year or so relative to COVID and, and the unforeseen circumstances of the way the world is changing now, maybe, you know, free bus service is less 
important. Maybe subsidizing big downtown apartments is not the answer when, when you know, density becomes a challenge in COVID-19 cases. I, I mean, it, it really, and it just seems like the region is just even, just beginning to grasp those discussions. Yeah, um, and it's it, it's fairly early to say right now, but one of the things that I'm tracking and I'm going to be monitoring, and I've done a little bit of reporting on this, is let's just take unified government of Wyandotte County, Kansas City, Kansas, uh, as a brief example. They are forecasting worst case scenario, which the worst case scenario assumes kind of a fall reemergence of uh, of this outbreak. Um, they're saying that they could lose, they could see a drop of $35 million in government revenues just for this year alone. They are also saying a worst case scenario. So that $35 million, that's eight and a half percent of their overall budget. And, you know, of course there'll, there will be cost cutting maneuvers that they will attempt to try and meet that. But for a government, that is a tremendous, that, that is a, that is a bruising figure. And so if you look at the things that government's already been struggling to keep up with, and infa- public infrastructure is kind of the classic example, right? I mean, when, when, when you look at deferred maintenance line items, that's, you know, that's what you see in local government budgets is, you know, infrastructure, public buildings, streets, uh, uh, f- you know, freeways and stuff like that. It's hard to see how that doesn't get kicked off for another long period of time, absent some kind of, uh, federal intervention. And that's, you know, we're seeing that, that that's turning into a, a, a political football in Washington, D.C. You had um, you had Mitch McConnell, the Senate majority leader, already float the idea of letting states go into bankruptcy uh, rather than the federal government try to bail them out. Yeah, okay. We need to take a quick break. When we come back, we will deal with the politics of the coronavirus crisis. I'm Dave Helling. You're on Deep Background. Hey there, this is Derek Donovan of the Kansas City Star Editorial Board, and we hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you like what you hear, help us support this podcast and the journalism that reporters at the Star do every day by subscribing. There's an easy way for you to do it. Head to kansascity.com slash background. You'll even get a special discount just for being a deep background listener. By subscribing at that URL, you will get three months of unlimited digital access to the star for $1.99 total. That's right, you get access to kansascity.com, the e-edition of the newspaper, our mobile apps, and more for three whole months, and it only costs you $1.99. That's a pretty sweet deal. Plus, you will be supporting journalism that makes a difference in Kansas City. So, go grab your computer or mobile device and head to kansascity.com background. And hey, thanks for listening. Welcome back. You're on Deep Background for May 6th, 2020. Dave Helling of the Kansas City Stars Editorial Board, along with my colleague and friend Derek Donovan, Kevin Hardy, and uh, Steve Vokrod, both on the reporting side of the Kansas City Star. And by the way, before we get into this next discussion, uh, you guys have done phenomenal work. Everyone at the Star has done phenomenal work on this story and uh, we'll try and get everyone who has reported on this on the podcast in the weeks ahead uh, to talk about the pieces of this ongoing saga that they've had a chance to report on. But for today, it's Steve and Kevin. So now let's turn our attention to the politics of all of this because it was a medical crisis first, an economic crisis second, but it's also a political test. 
for our systems and for our local leadership. Kevin, let me start with you. Uh, all eyes on on uh, Mike Parson, all eyes on on Laura Kelly in Kansas, and there's been some writing on who did better and who responded as quickly as they needed to and who's opening up too early or not too early. It, it seems like generally Laura Kelly is getting uh, uh, slightly higher marks than Mike Parson for her reaction. She was the first governor in the nation to close schools, for example. What's your own analysis of uh, how the states have done responding to that we've had lawsuits we've had uh news conferences every day i mean it's it's been, really been an extraordinary uh, extraordinary uh, uh exposure if you will of the governments in both states yeah i think it's a fair assessment to say that laura kelly has taken more aggressive and immediate action um to, to close down the economy, to, to try to keep school kids at home, to, to do some things that the government can do to, to stop the spread of the virus. And generally, Mark, Mike Parson has been a little slower to act and more reticent to, to close the economy, to impact jobs, um, to impact stores and restaurants and those kinds of things. In fact, he sort of left things in the hands of local officials almost throughout the pandemic, sort of washed his hand of the whole deal and said, let you guys decide it. And in that sense, Quentin Lucas and Lyda Krusen in St. Louis and others picked up a ball where maybe he he was making it available to other people. Right. Well, we and we haven't seen Missouri preempt any of that authority of the locals so far. So on one hand, I think Quentin Lucas and others, um, you know, have had that have had room to work there and to put their own measures in place. Um, But I mean, the the larger point is that this sort of follows the national politics of this moment that the democratic leadership is sort of more re- hesitant about moving forward. Um, and Republicans obviously want to get the economy going and, and opened up again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Steve, uh, it, everyone seemed unified when we first left the gate in late March, early April, and everyone was, you know, understood the need for, uh, you know, stay at home orders and self isolation and, and uh, there was the core four in our region who got together and agreed on a date. The most predictable thing in the history of the world is that that consensus would collapse <laughs> uh, eventually. And uh, that's what we're seeing, isn't it? That the idea that we are all on the same page, we're all, all in this together, is really not the driving uh, political motivation anymore. Yeah, I've been doing some reporting on... Um how the local response, as you pointed out in March, was fairly unified and fairly coherent. And in a metro area where you're divided by a state line, you're divided into five, you know, six counties, however you want to count them, seven, even nine counties, um, in a patchwork of all these different municipalities, there has been an erosion in that uniformity, uh, a fairly quick erosion and based largely on politics, right, Steve, based largely on on a part. It wasn't really health uh, as a primary concern. It was much more about how people saw this politically. Yeah, because, the you know, my understanding is that the for the most part, the public health directors are in agreement about what needs to be what needs and should be done. And of course, they have to defer to their elected leadership. 
Um, and it's fair to point out, or it's at least reasonable to point out that, you know, the, the, the way in this, the way in which this has hit the region is fairly different. So, you know, for example, in, you, you know, we've talked about Wyandotte County, they've been pretty hard hit. They've had almost 900 positive cases and in Clay County, um, they've had 86. And so you can see how the political leadership in those two counties is going to react to those outcomes, those figures differently. And in Clay County, the mayors and the county commission has been very permissive to the idea of, hey, we got to get our economy going again. You know, we have businesses closing down. Um, you know, we we need to get on with we need to get on with life. And I would say the leaders of the bigger cities and counties like Quentin Lucas and David Alvey over in KCK have taken the posture of, you know, we're, we're a region here and it's confusing the public when we have this patchwork of different, uh, of these different stay at home orders. Well, not only is it confusing, but it's particularly less than helpful to have a patchwork because you can drive one from one part of the, one county to another. I mean, if you're in Wyandotte County, you can go to Clay County. And it's right. a communicable disease. Well, and the thing that really brings that into focus is this uh, uh, this food processing plant up in St. Joseph. Yes. That's a big outbreak. There are 60 cases as of yesterday that were in Kansas City, Missouri, that are tied to that uh, St. Joseph food processing plant. That's 55 miles north of here. And I think there's something like, what, 68 cases in Wyandotte County that are tied to that. So it really shows that, you know, people, well, people, I think, understand where they are relative to the county, they pass through a, or, or, or where they are relative to this metro area, they pass from political boundary to political boundary. Right. Um, and the St. Joseph people were asymptomatic. I mean, that's, that's the other thing. They weren't, they didn't think they were sick. Right, right, exactly. So that, so the, the idea of some uniformity makes medical sense and it also, as I think you completely are right about, it, it, the confusion of the public and the frustration of the public when you have a patchwork of regulations grows. You know, people get madder about it because you can get your hair cut in one county and you can't get it cut in another. That makes you mad as someone who needs a haircut, but it also makes the, the barbershop angry. You know, why am I having to observe something that my competitor doesn't have to observe? Well, and where, where I live, there's still an order in place until at least next week. But, you know, I went out for a run yesterday afternoon uh, after my work was done. And there were a lot of cars on the road. There were a lot of people out and about. I, I kind of feel like I kind of feel like the public in Kansas City is getting pretty restless. And of course, we have the political considerations, too, of people not wanting to abide by the lockdown rules anymore. And so there's a certain point at which they are becoming almost unenforceable. And, you know, I think that's part of the reason that you are maybe seeing um, Mayor Quentin Lucas back off a little bit even before his order has officially um, expired because you just simply aren't going to get people in line and they're just going to break the rules anyway. Yeah, there's no question about that. Kevin? Well, I was going to say, I just spoke with a restaurant owner today in Johnson County who um, spoke to this idea of people are just kind of fed up with this. And he had a group come in, I believe it was last night or the night before, to pick up a carryout order. 
and they all went outside and sat on the patio and he told them, you got, you know, you have to go, you can't stay here. And they said, call the police, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to leave. So there's just a sense that there's a certain segment of the population at least that is tired of this and they're ready to kind of go back to normal or whatever normal is. But do you, uh, we're about out of time, but do, are we ready for uh, politically the new normal medically and economically, Kevin, in other words, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're facing another depression, depression. It's not, you know, it's not a blip. And you get the sense that people think that if you go to the local bistro, that life will go back to normal, but that as a political matter, a long-term matter, you're running for election or whatever, you've got to be worried as hell at 20% unemployment at places still closed at fundamental changes in, in the way government does things. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure the region has really grasped how much has changed. Right. I, I think, I think every day we get more insight into this and how this it's sort of seems larger and larger every day, but, um, it, in some ways, this exposed a lot of the gaps in our systems, and oh. our, in our safety net programs, in our medical system, in our meatpacking plants, and the efficiencies that they have built over the years. I mean, this has really exposed a lot of shortcomings in our systems across the country. But um, you know, I think it will. We'll have to see if if this is something. If this future uh, is something we're prepared for or not. Yeah. Steve, uh, Kevin is exactly right, isn't he, that this thing really exposed some cracks in our safety net, our broad safety net, stressed, you know, daycare centers, schools are closed, uh, you know, nursing home oversight, um, in the, the supply chain, the medical supply chain, you know, all the things that as part of a, uh, an economy, a normal economy, you don't really pay a lot of attention to. Suddenly, this crisis exposes all of those flaws. That's exactly right, and um, it's—I don't think it's—I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that the country has failed in its uh, in its response to this. Um, and I'll just leave it at that. No, I think that's there's no. I mean, I don't think when the history looks back 25 years that the immediate response will be seen as anything other than a disaster. The, the question, though, and this will be maybe the way to wrap it up, is in six months, if we do another podcast, are we saying, in essence, boy, that we really recovered well and did a good job? Or, you know, in six months... We may not recognize much of Kansas City. Kevin, we'll go with you first. I mean, the the next, the rest of this year is just going to be an astonishing thing. Right. I mean, we're we're coming up on summertime here, where you know we would expect to see people at the K. We expect to see Crown Center full of kids and families. Uh, the hotels full of you know regional tourists coming and spending the weekend or a few days, and for right now, that kind of a future doesn't really seem possible. So um, it's it's just hard to tell what when normalcy or what normalcy will look like and when. Yeah, that that's exactly right, Steve. You get the last word. Give us some sense of whether you think we're in a position regionally, not nationally, but regionally over the next 180 days 
to get our footing from a political economic point of view, if not necessarily a medical one, and uh, deal with what's coming. It's really hard to say. And, you know, I, I typically wanted to avoid making pronouncements about what the future looks like because there's new information that comes out every day that kind of alters that view. But I think the idea of a quick economic rebound is is a pipe dream at this point. I mean, the, the, the unemployment numbers just alone are yep. staggering. And there's going to be a boomerang effect on that because there's going to be people who have trouble paying their mortgages, people who have trouble paying their rent, paying all their bills. And that's going to send stress upward on the system to banks, lenders, um, business owners, things like that. And, you know, I think... And so lending tightens and, you know, suddenly it's hard to borrow money at any level and that slows down economic opportunity. I mean, the one of the things I think this whole crisis has really taught all of us is how interconnected all these pieces are. That's right. And as people continue to lose jobs, they continue to rely more on a safety net that's already not really set up to handle something like this and which has been neglected and, you know, uh, downsized over years of austerity. Um, you know, and I think, I think you can trace a lot of the problems that we're seeing now back to years of federal state government austerity. Um, I mean, the, 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 the picture, uh, of how local government works and how it's funded or even state and federal government is dramatically different today than it was in, uh, you know, 20 years ago. And that's, that's that's your roadmap to in a lot of ways to why we are where we are today. Right. And 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 the question of course is how we get out of it over the next 6 months which is an important story and of course we'll be covering it. Steve Vakrat with the Star, Kevin Hardy with the Star. Thanks so much and again you guys great work and everyone we haven't been able to be uh, be in the same room for some time so uh, we haven't had a chance to chat about a lot of this stuff but I appreciate you being with us on the podcast and we're glad we could figure out a way to uh, mechanically get everybody in the same room if we can't physically be there. So, th again, thanks for your help. And Derek Donovan, my colleague and friend, thank you so much as well, uh, as, as always, for being a part of this podcast. So we'll see you next week. I'm Dave Helling with The Star. You've been on Deep Impact.